Bibles with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 15. Beginning in verse 37. The word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our minds and our hearts for the message that you have for us today. And we pray that you would be glorified above all else and that Christ will be at the center of all we do. Amen. Be seated. The text before us today is probably not one of those portions of Scripture that we think about in our everyday walk, but nonetheless, I think it has a lot to teach us. A small passage about the Israelites putting tassels and blue cords on their garments. Seemingly a tiny little thing, but I think when you really look at why the Lord is telling his people to do this, it is full of meaning. So let's talk about what these tassels and cords are, why God would have told his people to wear them, and what they have to say to us today. So God instructs the Israelites to create tassels or fringes, you might see if you have an NIV or an NASB, on the edges of their garments and then to attach a blue cord onto them as well. In fact, Jewish men still wear a garment called a talith that has tassels on the corners and blue cords interwoven among it. Now, the color is important because blue held significance for the nation of Israel. Blue represented the, the heavenly realm and a closeness to God. In Exodus 24, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders go up to Mount Sinai And in verse 10 it says, They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Now, the sapphire referred to here is most likely lapis lazuli, which really only occurs naturally in the color blue. Sapphires, of course, do occur in other colors. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the difference between sapphires and lapis lazuli in the Old Testament. That is kind of interesting if you want to go read about it. But suffice to say, blue was closely associated with God himself. It was also the color for a number of coverings and cloths used in the tabernacle. If you look at Numbers 4, you'll see the color blue all over the place. It's used as the covering for the Ark of the Covenant, the tablecloth for the Bread of the Presence, the covering for the lampstand, the covering for the altar, and the cloth used to transport the serving utensils. These are the holy items of the Lord's tabernacle. And he gives specific instructions for them to be covered in blue. So the importance of the color would not have been lost on the people as they were given this command. 
But what significance do the cords and tassels hold? Why did God instruct the Israelites to wear them? Like many things, they are a symbol. They represent a greater truth. This has been done for much of human history. In fact, a lot of us are probably wearing one right now. Wedding rings. A wedding ring holds no special power in and of itself. You don't have to wear one to be married. If I take it off, I'm not suddenly not married, right? It is simply a symbol in our culture of a commitment that has been made and a relationship that is present. The cross itself. The cross itself is used as a symbol. We put it at the front of our churches, on the top of our churches, and we sing songs about it, and we exhort people to bow at the foot of the cross. But we understand that it is not the cross itself that holds any power. We're not worshiping a couple pieces of wood that are stuck together. We're worshiping what it represents, our Savior, the salvation he gives us, and the forgiveness he offers us, and the life that we have in him. The cross is just a symbol of those things. The tassels and cords here in Numbers are similar. They are a symbol of God's law and of proper living. Verse 39 says, To remember all the commandments of the law. But they are also a reminder for the people that they belong to the Lord. They are his. And as we saw, he covers his possessions in blue. So it is not just a reminder to act correctly, but a reminder of why. Because they are God's possession. And this is one way that he set them apart from every other people group. The people of God are different from everyone else. In what they eat, how they dress, where they live, whom they marry. And these tassels and cords remind them that they are special. They are God's people. But he specifically mentions that the tassels are to remind them of his commandments. He is giving them a reminder that because they are God's people, they need to act in a certain way. Verse 39 again. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. The message couldn't be clearer. You do what you want, but that's not what I want. You have to do what I want, God says. And it isn't, your way's okay, but my way's, my way's just a little better. No, the, the language is strong, which you are inclined to whore after. That is intense language. But it shows us just how strongly we desire to sin. We want to follow our own impulses, but God says, no, no, follow me. Follow my commandments. And notice that it says, your own heart and your own eyes. Heart, representing our inner desires, right? Our proclivity to want something that we shouldn't have. Eyes then representing the physical manifestation of those desires. Not just the things we look at, but the things we touch, the things we say, the things we listen to, those things, those physical actions affect our heart and soul. When we watch things we shouldn't, it makes us desire things we shouldn't have. When we say things we shouldn't, it gives us emotions that are not healthy. 
And of course, the reverse is true as well. When we allow ourselves to think and feel in ways that are not God-honoring, it comes out in how we speak, how we act, how we treat others. And so we must guard our hearts and we must guard our senses. If something you look at causes you to feel or act in a way you shouldn't, don't look at it. If being around a certain person causes you to speak in a way that is inappropriate, don't be around that person. If listening to a certain type of music gives you joy and makes you recall things you've learned from God's word, listen to that music more often. These are the things we can do to remember the commandments of the Lord and not to follow our own hearts and our own eyes. And why do we do it? Why do we attempt to follow the Lord's commandments instead of our own desires? So that we can be saved? Of course not, we know that. Ephesians 2 is clear on that. Maybe so we will look better to everyone else. No, not the point, but we will come back to that in a minute. We follow the Lord, first of all, for his glory. All things are for his glory. And by following his ways, we glorify him in this world. We show everyone that we are set apart just like the Israelites were. We belong to the Lord God. We belong to the King of Kings. And by living in the way that he wants us to live, we spread his glory and we spread his love. I think we also try to uh, follow his commands because in a manner of speaking, we want him to be pleased with us. And I don't think that's a bad thing. We're not, we know we're not earning his love, we're not earning his favor, we're not gaining our salvation through our works, but I do think it's okay to say, I act this way because I want God to be pleased with me. We do that already in all of our relationships. I want Lindsay to be pleased with me, to be proud of me, to be glad that she married me. So I try to do things that make her feel that way. By the way, that's every husband. Every husband wants his wife to be proud of him. Wives, tell your husband that you're proud of him. Husbands, tell your wife you appreciate her. Okay, that's a whole other message. Where was I? Okay, not just Lindsay. I want my kids to be proud that I'm their dad, to look up to me. So I try to do things that will make them feel that way. I want my parents to be proud that I'm their son, to feel good about where my life is going. So I try to do things that will make them feel that way. Sometimes I succeed, and sometimes I fail. But when I fail, they forgive me, and I try again. It's no different with the Lord. I want him to see me and say, that one, that's mine. And I'm glad that he's mine. I'm pleased with him. In the book of Job, think about Job, right? God tells Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? God is bragging about Job, about how proud he is of Job. It's not wrong to want that feeling, to know that God is pleased with you. So use symbols for yourself to help you remember that you are chosen by God, that you need to follow his ways and think and act and feel in certain ways because you belong to the Lord of Lords. You all uh, are aware of one of mine. I like to wear a tie to church. I do. It helps me. It helps me feel like I'm going somewhere important, somewhere special, somewhere that I'm putting on my best to present myself to God in his house, that this isn't just a normal, everyday thing that I'm doing on Sunday mornings. 
Do I think you have to wear a tie to church? No, of course not. I have come here without a tie on. Twice. <laughs> Some of the guys have come here with a tie on twice. But that's the thing about symbols. What helps me doesn't necessarily help somebody else. They come from a different area or a different background, or that symbol you know, wouldn't mean anything to them. Maybe it's something else for them, and to me, that would hold no meaning. You know, whatever it is. Uh, Lindsay sometimes takes note cards and writes verses on them and just sticks them up around the house. Nothing, nothing fancy, you know, just like where we'll see them. On the bathroom mirror, on the fridge door, I see that one a lot. Um, next to the computer screen. You know, just wherever. She just sticks them up. And they're a reminder for us and for those around us. Notice in the, in the text, it says... Remember all the commandments of the Lord. Tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. They're not just reminders for us. They're for reminders for everyone around us and for everyone who comes after us. Deuteronomy 6.9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. All of these things become reminders for us and for our family and for our children and for the people who come to our house that we are God's people. Whatever it is that helps you keep Christ at the front of your mind and the commandments of the Lord in your sights, do that. If it doesn't work, try something else. Do whatever it takes. I promise you, it will be worth it. And now we come to the number one main reason that we need to follow God's laws in verse 40. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. We follow the Lord's ways so that we can be holy. And we need to be holy because the Lord is holy. He cannot be in relationship with unholiness. Nobody who is unholy can be in him. There are multiple times in the Bible that God tells his people what to do specifically because then they will be holy because he is holy. Listen to all these times in Leviticus. Leviticus 11.44 For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. And the very next verse. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 2026, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. 21.8, you shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. Deuteronomy 23.14, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy, so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. To the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he who called you is holy, you also shall be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. When we are holy, we can be with the Lord forever and ever, basking in his glory for eternity. It is our greatest gift and also our greatest curse.
because we cannot be holy. No matter how hard we try. No matter how many good deeds we do. We can wear the tassels and the blue cords. We can eat all the right things. We can give to the poor. We can pray every day, serve our church, study the word fervently. And even still, we will not be holy. We are in need of one to make us holy. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? We attempt to outweigh our bad with our good. We compare ourselves to others to prove that we're good enough. And we even take the symbols we've been given and we make them into the thing worth having instead of what they are symbolizing. The Pharisees did this. Flip over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. In verse 5 it says, talking about the Pharisees, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That word fringes in the ESV is translated tassels again in the NIV and NISV. The tassels in numbers are the tassels it's talking about here, which feels like a really weird thing to brag about, right? Like, look how long my tassels are. Clearly, I'm very holy. Like, what? That sounds so ridiculous to us, right? But this still happens. I mean, we still do this. We mentioned wedding rings earlier. That is absolutely something in our culture we put too much stock in. right? Men give women huge diamonds in these big, gaudy rings without even thinking about how am I going to be a good husband. Women show off their rings so everyone can ooh and ah over them without a passing thought to being a godly wife the symbol becomes more important than the reality. We mentioned the cross earlier as well. I'm sure we've all seen people wearing these huge cross necklaces covered in jewels and gold and things like that. And I kind of imagine Jesus seeing that and being like, yeah, that's not what it was like. It, was, it did not. It wasn't glittery. But the symbol for them has become more important than what it signifies. And this happens in the church as well. Even when we're looking at the scriptures, the one that always gets me, Samson. You go out and ask just about anyone, even people who are outside of the church, people who are in the church, even people who are faithful Christian, if you say, what was the source of Samson's strength? What are most people going to say? His hair. Which is ridiculous. Right? Hair does not equal strength. The length of your hair does not make you stronger. Thank goodness. <laughs> but this has become the story because Samson's parents are told in Judges 13.5 that no razor shall come upon his head because he is to be a Nazarite or one consecrated to the Lord. Number six, you can read about that. But that's not the reason he had great strength. When he displays these great feats of strength, killing the lion, killing the Philistines, you know, with the jawbone, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. That was the source of his strength. Not hair, God. And so he doesn't lose his strength because his hair gets cut off. He loses it because he broke covenant with the Lord. He didn't follow God's commands. 
He even tells Delilah in Judges 16, verse 7, If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall be become weak and be like any other man. So I'm not even sure Samson even realizes the true source of his strength. Even he is making the symbol more important than what it symbolizes. I remember watching a video in Sunday school when I was little, like the the animated stories of the Bible, you know, you've probably seen these. In the Samson video, it shows him working the mill in the prisons. You know, they've captured him and dug his eyes out and stuff. And it shows his hair growing back over time because it says in Judges 16, 22, that his hair began to grow back. And so the video shows that now he has long hair again. So now he has the strength to push over the pillars and kill 3,000 Philistines. But by that point, I believe Samson did recognize the true source of his strength was not his hair, but the Lord. Because he stands there and he prays for God to give him strength this one last time. He finally put his faith in the salvation of the Lord instead of the object that was symbolizing it. And let's not kid ourselves. This happens in the church as well. This happens among us. We do, th- we do things, we say things, we wear things that make us feel superior to try and make sure everyone else knows that we're very holy. Or sometimes we do it to try and, and cover up ourselves, try to make sure that others think we're good, we're better off, when in reality we're falling apart. And every time we do that, we make the symbol the most important thing. But all of these things are hollow. Don't get me wrong, we need to do what God commands, we need to try to obey every law as much as we can, but we will fail. These things have no substance in and of themselves. The only thing, the only thing that can save us and make us holy is Jesus Christ. Because he was holy. He did follow the law perfectly, including this one. Matthew 9 and Luke 8 tell us the story of the woman, I'm sure you know it, who thought that if she just touched him, she would be made well. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. In verses 20 and 21, we read, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment... I will be made well. The fringes here are likely these same tassels from Numbers, same as Matthew 23 that we looked at earlier. Jesus would perfectly execute every commandment of God, including this one. But what is this woman doing? Again, she is making the symbol more important than the reality. In the very next verse, Jesus corrects her thinking. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. She put her hope in the physical things of this world. But Jesus lovingly heals her and teaches her that it is not the physical item that can heal her, but what it represents, faith in him. Not everyone was so blessed to receive this teaching, though. Later in Matthew 14, 
verses 34 to 36, it tells us, And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. But we have no record that Jesus corrected their thinking like he did with the woman a few chapters earlier. And so we can only hope that they understood what was truly healing them. Perhaps some did, but I'm sure many did not. As many today look to church attendance or daily Bible reading or consistent prayer or service activities to heal them and save them from their sin. But those things, again, while important and absolutely things we should be doing, simply help strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins. We see the symbol of the cross and we are reminded that the one who hung there did not deserve to do so. We did. Every one of us should be crucified for our sins and cast into the depths of hell. But through the saving grace of Jesus, whose blood covers all of our transgressions, who died in our place on Calvary, we can be free from our sin and spend eternity with him in paradise. And why? Because we are his. We are set apart. The passage ends in verse 41 with a repeated reminder. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. It was his decision to call us and to give us a means of salvation because we belong to him. He is the Lord our God. And thankfully, we are his people. Let's pray. Lord God, you are holy, and we are sinners. We cannot be holy in your presence except through the blood of your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift that we have in him, the hope that you give us, and the peace we can have knowing that we are saved and can be with you forever. Let us not focus on symbols, but on what they represent, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Messiah. May we live as people set apart by you to be your possession. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.